let's begin. Let's come right out of the shoot with Congressman Kelly Armstrong. Congressman Armstrong, good to have you on News and Views. Thanks, sir. Absolutely. I'm staring out my window, and there's a lot of snow here in Bismarck. How's it doing in Fargo? <laughs> That's right. You, you're a native, not native, but Bismarck is actually home for you now, isn't it? I am eight minutes from the airport, which is fantastic. And to be honest, other than that, I really miss Dickinson. <laughs> <laughs> well, let, let me explain to you. I'm sitting in my kitchen right now looking out over the lake, and everybody goes, why don't you move to Fargo? I don't know. It's a pretty good view right here. So trust me, I, I know exactly the, what you're the, the weird thing at 46 years old is, like, when you have sprinkler breaks or you've got to get somebody to do something at your house, like for Dickinson, I just, like, I called Dwight. And here I spoke to my wife, and I'm like, I don't know who to call. <laughs> it's a whole different world, I can about imagine. Well, love is in the air uh, out in Congress again. Uh, I, I I have to ask you, Congressman, what do you think of the president's trip uh, to Ukraine? Uh, and now the president, I, I watched a lot of this in, in Poland today. There are people from your side of the aisle that, that seem to be upset that he went. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm glad he's there. I think it's, I mean, it's, we're very heavily engaged in there. There's a huge debate about whether that should be or not. I do think he opens himself up to valid criticism. Uh, two issues that are, I mean, I think that really happened is, you know, East Palestine, Ohio. I mean, it's a pretty easy hit, although I don't think everything's always binary. So you could have probably stopped there on your way out. And then also, I, I, I mean, it's not binary, but the criticism is valid when you worry about uh borders in the middle of uh, Central Asia and Eastern in Europe, and we continue to have an absolute disaster on our southern border. But I think, I mean, he's the president of the United States. It's the most consequential thing going on, at least worldwide, and he's there. And I, I mean, I don't have a problem with him going. But you realize you just said you're happy he's there, and then you gave two reasons he shouldn't be, right? I gave two reasons why he's going to get criticized for it, and I think the criticisms are valid. That doesn't, well, I, I mean, those things aren't by there either. I, I, I expect to see him in Ohio. I know that. I, I think that trips like this, Congressman, and, and you know because you've you've been involved in this. You, you've been in Congress for a while now. They, they don't just happen. There's a window when they can happen uh, would be my guess. And, and in most cases, people don't want to say, gee, you know, a plane full of congressmen are heading to such and such a place. Because the next thing you know, that plane gets blown up, you know, and so there's yeah, a window well, there. Well, and w let's be clear. We don't have complete control over the Ukrainian airspace. So how they did this, I mean, is I mean, I, if nothing else, for t or from a planning and a, a standpoint of those things, it's pretty impressive. So, I mean, in it, Munich was going on in the world. I mean, those, I mean, you can't control those dates. I mean, I don't have a criticism with him being there on President's Day or anything. Right? I just don't care about those things. I, I do care about East Palestine, Ohio. I care about the southern border. I think those criticisms are valid, but I can also still say I think it's important that he went there, and if that's what they decided to do, he should be there. We've spent 100, over $100 billion over there. I hope, I mean, we're part of this, whether people like it or not, we're part of this, and him being there is, I mean, a completely valid use of presidential time. Do, do you think we've spent too much there? I don't think we have put enough guardrails on the money uh, and making sure that we have we, we know exactly where it is. But you got to remember, 
about half of this money, and this is what I tell people who are really critical, is replenishing our stuff. And we have actually made decisions not to send certain things to the Ukraine because we don't have enough here. So, I mean, I don't think I don't necessarily say we haven't spent enough. I don't think we've been incredibly good stewards of our money uh, and making sure there's enough guardrails in place. Well, I mean, and that is a job for Congress as well, right? You appropriate the money, you can make the rules. Uh, I, I, don't, I, know that- I don't know if I've, I don't know if I've said this on your show before, but I, since I've been there for four years, I, I, I don't know a single thing that deserves more of a standalone debate than our participation in uh, the conflict between Russia, I mean, the war between Ukraine and Russia. I mean, 35% of the world's wheat comes from the Donbass region of the Ukraine. We do wheat really well in North Dakota. They do it really well over there. 12.5% of the world's calories. I don't know what it's worth to take Vladimir Putin off the board without having a single U.S. Shoulder shot, soldier shot at, but it's worth something. Yeah. Well, and the, the other the other thing I would add to this, and I think it's it's just vitally important with what's been able to be accomplished, and, and this is going to go on for a while. I get it. I understand it, is the strength of NATO has never been, I think, stronger, certainly in years. And I think that alone makes for a better world, knowing that if you mess with one in NATO, you're messing with all of us. And, and that that is some real good that's come out of this. Yeah, whether it was an intended benefit or not, I agree with you. As I'm married to a, a very, very Norwegian woman uh, and understand the northern border and the northern the Arctic mission, and the NATO thing has been an absolute benefit that has come out of this. I thought uh, that that is really great, particularly when you, if you're like I am, that views the UN as pretty much a feckless organization at this point. So yeah, that's been a real positive. Yeah. Let, let, let's talk a little bit about what happened in Ohio and, and let's talk about whether or not they could happen. That could happen here. I think that if you talk to folks from Castleton, uh, they look at trains quite differently that come through when they're tanker cars. Uh, you know, the, the, that that fire that burnt and, and the people that well, everything that was involved with it, quite frankly, you know, that that could happen here quite easily. And, and tragedy has struck here. I mean, are our railways safe? Uh, they're not safe enough. Uh, I think that's probably true. I mean, there were several. I think one of the things is, you know, and that's what one of the things that is kind of frustrating about all of this is that all of a sudden there's another derailment and another derailment. People should watch how many there actually are at a different time. I would say the big difference between East Palestine, Ohio, and anything in North Dakota is we actually know what's on the train. Uh, you might not like what's on the train, but we know what's on the train. I'm not sure we even know yet. I mean, I've read the manifest, and it's, like, specifically opaque, and it's really weird. Well, but everything we're talking about seems to go back to regulation, right? And, and you know, when, when you don't regulate uh, agencies, when you just say, go get them, you know, this is about profit, uh, and you don't sit back and say, wait a second here, the, the men and women that drive this thing deserve to know, but they don't necessarily know. The, the, the men and women whose towns this goes through and whose bridges this cross deserve to know, but they don't necessarily know. Uh, this, this is going to involve government action to tighten this whole thing up and there's going to be a big pushback from the rail industry yeah 
I, I mean, I, I anticipate there will be. I mean, one of the things that we do is we take, I mean, we end up doing something that is overly burdensome, overly complicated, spends way too much money, and doesn't it, it doesn't officially uh, put that regulation in place. We're really good at that at the federal government. If there's start, smart, meaningful reform that we can do, that we can put into place in a realistic supply chain matter, I'm, I'm willing and open looking at it. Uh, the last time we dealt with one of these things, I was actually in the North Dakota State Senate. One of the things that uh, came up is the actual deadline for implementation didn't make any sense. Like it just couldn't be done. Well, I, I guess when I when I look at our state, our state is this place that in so many ways gets used. Yes, we build, you know, we develop things here, we, whether it's oil or coal or, or ethanol or you know what I'm getting at. And, and it's got to move. It's got to move whether it moves through yeah, cables, whether you, it moves through whatever. Yeah, and you can't move coal by a pipeline, right? I mean, and right. we're losing CDL drivers all the days. But there's another example. One of the reasons we're losing CDL drivers is because we put an unreasonable regulation on getting your CDL. And the difference between – I think that's always been the difference. The difference isn't regulation versus no regulation. The, the difference is does this regulation help solve the problem we're trying to solve, and can it be implemented without causing undue bureaucratic burdens? Well, but but that is, I guess, the point I was building up to there, which is the conduits, the resources, the infrastructure, everything else that goes with it to make sure that it works, to make sure that it runs. You know, we're we're not this. I mean, you, you look at us in terms of society and, and where we go to other countries and it's like, man, we are so young, you know, as a country. But some of that infrastructure isn't. You know, and, and no, that's, an, that's an area that, that Congress, in my personal opinion, the infrastructure bill that we and you and I have had debates about that. But to me, keeping up on our infrastructure is the most important job you guys have. Well, I mean, yeah, but we should do it in a way where we spend money and don't. I mean, we inflation over the course of 2022 is going to the actual inflationary cost that is associated with the infrastructure bill and the inflation reduction act is going to eat up a, over a hundred percent of the increase in the highway funding that was passed in that bill. That doesn't make any sense. I mean, you could say you spent more money, but you're getting less money back for what you're putting on the ground because of the inflationary pressures. So while we spent more money, which is a huge part of the infrastructure bill was the highway funding bill. We actually spent less real dollars and we'll get less real infrastructure than we did in the last bill. Then you, then you should have done it when I was screaming into this microphone to do it a couple of years before. But I will tell you this, this whole notion that we were going to just we would have bottom- just driven up inflation two years earlier. Yeah. It, 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 hey, l- look at this. You guys were just screaming that the whole economy was going to blow up, that interest rates were going to be at 10%, that, oh, my God, everything was going to hell in a handbasket, and it didn't happen. Th- this massive, terrible, uh- terrible recession didn't happen. Go try, go try and buy eggs at a grocery store right now. They're down. They're down. And you know why they're down? Because the they're birds down are from their down. All time, they're down because, from their all-time high. Well, yeah, because the birds died, Congressman. The Asian flu. You can't. I mean, the, President Biden didn't go around with his 410 and start shooting chickens. Can we admit that? Uh, yeah. Okay. Let's not. stick around. I love these debates that I and the Congressman have. I'm getting all kinds of messages, people thinking I'm avoiding answering this question. It's just I've heard him answer it. Apparently some of you haven't, which is Congressman Kelly Armstrong, what the heck were you sitting next to Marjorie Taylor Greene for at the State of the Union? Go ahead. Tell him. 
Sure. I had two hearings and a markup on Tuesday. I had two hearings and a markup on Wednesday. I was the last, probably the last member of Congress to get on the floor. And it's not surprising that was the only seat left. Uh, All I kept no thinking seating. about. There's no assigned seating on, on the House of Representatives. And I just, quite frankly, had too much going on, too much important stuff going down to go down to that floor an hour and a half early to, to, to scope out a prime seat. <laughs> I'm just telling you, when you when you went down there and you knew that was your only seat, you knew you were going to get questions like this. Just admit it. You you see trouble coming like any congressman does. Just admit you were going to get well, questions like this. So I have a different. I have probably a little different view of that. I spent ten years in courtrooms, sitting next to people that oftentimes I was the only person in the entire community that was willing to have a conversation with them. It doesn't bother me. I get criticized for a lot. I'm sure over the break I got criticized on your phone a lot. Uh, I'll get. I'll take all that criticism. Not really interested in taking criticism from who's sitting next to me. Well, <laughs> it, yeah, I I think that is fair. I think you should. Uh, I think you should give her your business card because she's going to need that type of help someday. Uh, Want to talk a little I, I bit? I do about... have to tell what I have to tell you one story because it is pretty funny. Yeah. So we were on the floor of the house the next day voting, and uh, she came up to me and she and she's and I'm on oversight with her, and so I mean all of these different issues, and she's like, "I'm really sorry about last night. I didn't uh, expect all of that to happen." And I'm like, "Marjorie, you can sell that somewhere else. I'm all full here." <laughs> There's a reason they do it. Everybody knew it was going to happen. She dressed to make sure she'd be found. There's no question. Yeah, and, about then, that. and then and then she laughed, and then she walked away. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Congressman, when you look at where we're at today with politics today, and you look at the narrow majority that you have in the House and how how split up your caucus is on some of these issues. Are you going to be able to hold the line with some of these Marjorie Taylor Greene types? I mean, are you going? Are they going to define the the Republican Party in the House? You know, I so we t- I spend a lot of time because I'm also on co- oversight weaponization, and I get that question by DC media a lot. I'm like, well, we also had two markups in energy and commerce that we had bipartisan support for bills on Friday. I dropped. Three of my four bills have bipartisan, real bipartisan support. Uh, there's a lot of other things that go on, but the reality is, and it's going to be the same that uh, Democrats had to deal with with the squad, is what gets covered is oversight and judiciary and what I call the cable news hearings. And so you'll have a lot of those things going on on both sides. But uh, I don't know what hold the line means. I agree with them on a lot of things. I disagree with some of their tactics on many things. But we're going to move forward, and I think it's going to be messy. And I think democracy is supposed to be messy, and I'm okay with that. So when you look at, though, the, the, the group that really held the line and, and were able to go to, what, 15 votes before you got a leader, the, those individuals got what they wanted in the end out of it. I mean, they really did in order to stop this bloodbath. And so when the Matt Gates and, and the Marjorie Taylor Greens and the Lauren Boberts of the world define your party, you know, by saying, look, th- this is who we are. You have to tell me that makes you nervous. 
Well, I, I do. I mean, we. I think the unequal treatment of how that works makes me more nervous. I mean, we don't. I don't spend a lot of time answering questions on Representative Ocasio Cortez tweets. I get a lot of questions, and we do this to our own side a lot. She, but she I, was no, drugged through nervous. the roads, Congressman. She, she had a, th- that woman was beat up for years. I mean, come on. This is you can't say that this hasn't been equal, but we we can have that debate when you're in studio. Oh, I I always love. But, go ahead, say what you got to go. I have thirty seconds well, here. I, yeah, I just none of this makes me nervous. I uh, spent ten years. I mean, I, it just doesn't. I mean, people get elected by their districts. They come to DC. They figure it out. We'll we'll continue. I always want to be in the middle of a fight. I just try and stay above the noise. The only thing that makes the Congress look uh, functional is the North Dakota legislature, which we both served in. Good to visit with you, Congressman. Thank you.